I was talking to someone this week, and uh, we were discussing dating. And uh, he says to me, <laughs> of course, what else am I going to talk about? So we were, just, we were discussing dating, and he says to me, uh, you know, I'd, I think we should, if you, know, if you need anyone that needs help, I think I can help them. So I said, why? He says, because I know the algorithms. I know, I know how to get what I want and find who I need. I've done it. I've done the system. I know the system and it works. Like I've got a whole load in my history of relationships that I got myself into. It's a guy, by the way, in case girls are wondering. I don't talk to girls about these things. I leave it to Shira. You know, it makes sense, right? You, you get it. Okay, so, uh, so he says to me, I have, uh, you know, I have it all lined up. I know exactly what's going on. I've been in and out. I said to him, how many are you looking for? <laughs> how many relationships are you looking for? You only need one. So uh, I want to tell you that being an expert doesn't mean that you have dated or know how to find people. It's not about how many you can find. It's about finding the right one. It's like um, once turning on the radio and hearing about this, this marriage therapist counselor was speaking on the radio and it came out that she was, uh, during the conversation, she was divorced like four or five times. So that was her experience. I guess I don't need to know how to be married and get divorced. I need to know how to be married and stay married, right? That's, that's going to help. So sometimes we look at success in the wrong way and we define it by, okay, this guy can externally look good and he can, you know, uh, on paper, it's like, it's like, oh, this guy's going to be the best husband or she's going to be the best wife. They went to Harvard. Harvard doesn't make a good husband. It might make a good job, but not a good, it doesn't guarantee a good husband. It doesn't guarantee a good wife. Let's just get things straight. None of these things actually guarantee that the person's going to be the best. It's, it's about the person himself, not about his paper or how he looks on the outside. And it's also in terms of the algorithms, not because you know how to play the system. Does it mean that you're going to be the one that finds the one very quickly? It could actually be the opposite. When you have too many choices, what happens? You don't choose anything, right? You don't know what to do. And that's actually the problem of today. We don't take... Uh, everyone, we, we have so many choices, we don't know who to take seriously. Because, you know, next, okay, that person's got a problem. Swipe, <laughs> you know, it's a, it's, that's our culture. So it's not necessarily easier because we have more available to us. Actually, I think with technology, we have so much more available to us, right? So many more options. But yet, it's not easier with all those options because it makes us confusing in some ways. Okay, how do I tie this into my study? I want to tell you, uh, it's not only in that area of dating, but it's also in life, in business, and in many other places. Why do, why do you think, or give me some ideas of why successful, good-running businesses fail? Why do you think a good-running business, successful, it's unique, it has a monopoly, it's the only one in the market, and suddenly it starts failing? Why? They don't innovate. They don't innovate? 
Okay. Okay, that's an external factor, which could be, yes. If it was in Ukraine, it wouldn't work so well. Yeah, go on. They don't value their employees. They don't value their employees. They don't have a good structure, a good system in place. Lack of maintenance. Lack of maintenance. Right? They're too focused on making the money. And not... not enough emunah. Okay, now we're getting it. Because I'm, I'm here to teach Jewish values, right? So we're getting there. But how about the word pride? Too proud. What happens is, I'm up there. My business is going really well. And I look good. And that's it. Don't you give me ideas of what needs to be done in 2022. I know what needs to be done today. And that's it. I don't need your ideas. Does that, make, does that sound familiar? I think that pride is one of, for sure, in business and in many areas, a key to a lot of failure. And I want to tell you something that he says in this Mishnah of Pekavot. We're studying Pekavot. And they said some amazing things we're going to learn today. I have a whole list of ideas. But this is the first idea I want to share with you from uh, the Mishnah in Pukavot. It says like this. Rabbi Yochanan ben Zakai, a great rabbi. Rabbi Yochanan ben Zakai, one of the last students of Hillel. Hazaken, Hillel the elder. He took Torah from Hillel and Shammai. He was the student of Hillel and Shammai. And he said, if you learned a lot of Torah... If you became a scholar and you're up there, do not hold good for yourself. Don't think, okay, I'm, I'm it. I'm, I'm the best. Why? Because that's why you were created in the first place. It's like someone playing soccer and he's hired to play for a team. And he scores a goal. And because he's so busy celebrating, the other team now score another five goals. You know? Yeah, I won, I scored, I scored, the game's not over. That's what we hired you for, to score, but keep going. Don't stop. I scored, yeah, we're winning. But then there's a, the other team, they can shoot and get you, you can lose, right? So what it says is, if I am successful, it's not only Torah, but this was Rabbi Yochanan ben Zakai, his thing was Torah. His thing was the knowledge of Torah. He was the he was the nasi of he was the head of the Jewish people during the destruction of the temple. In the time of the destruction of the temple, it was Rabbi Yochanan ben Zakkai, the great Rabbi Yochanan. I'm going to tell you some of the things about him, unbelievable. And he himself was the student of Hillel, the 80th. Hillel had 80 main students, yeah, many many students, but the greats that came out from him. There were 80 of them, and all of them were beyond. The least of all of them, the least powerful, the least uh, 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 great of all of them was Rabbi Yochanan ben Zakai. And eventually, when all of his other, uh, all the other students of Hillel passed away, he became the leader of the Jewish people, and he happened to be the leader of the Jewish people during the time of the destruction of the temple. So he says like this, he says, if you've learned a lot, no, you've learned a lot because that's what you were created for. I want to tell you a Talmud. Listen to this Talmud. Mind-blowing stuff. It's a Talmud in the tractate of Sukkah, page 28, if you want to check it up. 28a. You won't, so it could be I made it up, but it doesn't matter. So uh, it says like this, our rabbis say, Hillel Hazaken, Hillel the elder had 80 students. 
30 of them were great enough that, that they, to be like Moses. And 30 of them were strong and powerful enough that they could change the course of the sun, like Joshua. Okay, great. Yonatan Ben-Oziel was the smallest of them. Sorry, Yonatan Ben-Oziel was the greatest of them. I don't know if any of you have been to Amuka in Israel. Uh, Amuka is where if somebody didn't get a shidduch or someone wants to get married, they go there and they pray there, actually, because he himself, according to tradition, he himself never got married. And it's a place where you can go and pray because his energy of going through life, surviving life with singlehood is what can pray for you to not go through that. Like, it's enough. That guy went through it. By the way, in Jewish teaching, that's how it works. We go to people to pray who suffered with the things that we don't want. Very interesting. Let's say someone who never had children, that's where you go to pray to have children. Because that person already went through this in this world. We already had that guy that went through this and came a hero that never gave up. So please, let's use that person's energy. We ask God. We don't speak to the dead person because that's what idol worship. We speak to God, right? And we basically, we say this energy in the world of surviving all of that, please help me and bring me the blessing of having children. Very interesting. You would think the one that had the most kids, let's find them and pray by him or her, right? Probably should be by her. But uh, yeah, because she went through the births. But uh, you know, you get what I'm saying. But you should pray by someone who actually didn't have something. So there's a prayer in Amuka. There's a place in Israel where everyone goes and prays there. For if it's hot, by the way, you can open the back door if, if you're feeling somewhat toasty. Okay. So he says like this. He says that who was Rabbi Yochanan ben Zakkai? He was the least great of Hillel's students. And who was he? This is who he was. There was never a Talmud, a verse, a Mishnah, uh, a law, a Jewish law, a Gadot, different Midrashim, stories. He knew every single one of them. Dikdukei Torah. He knew every single letter, why it was extra and why it was reduced. Sometimes letters are added. Sometimes letters are unnecessarily removed in the Torah. He knew every single letter, why they were there. He knew every boundary that was made until his time. He knew every logical understanding of the Talmud. Kalim v'chamorim. It's going to get interesting. He knew tkufot v'gimatriot. He knew every numerical value, how to like calculate numbers and names and stuff. And he also knew tkufot. Do you know what that means? He knew how to read the stars. He knew he was an astrologer. And he knew the language that the angels speak. Angels are things that we create in this world. Angels are not uh, flapping wings, you know, like these things that we think of. Although those are the terms that our rabbis use for some of the different types of angels. Angels are energies we create. And they, they are things that we create through our actions. That's how Jewish tradition understands. So he knew their language. He would be able to speak to them outside of the dimension of, the, of, of whatever we see to the eye. Okay, believe it or not, this is what it says. And he knew the language of trees, the kalim, specifically uh, palm trees, but the language of trees. Trees and vegetation communicate with each other. That's Jew, 
Judaism all over, by the way, talks about how we understood that trees communicate with each other. I'll tell you this, this is very interesting. It says in a number of places that when someone cuts down a tree, especially a tree that makes fruits, the voice of that tree is heard from one side of the world to the other. Isn't that interesting? Now, I'll tell you that, yes, it's heard. It's not like a human being where it has feelings like we have. Okay? It's not like us where we have feelings. Don't think now that you can't eat a salad because, you know, that was a tree that had to cry from one side of the world. But there's a form of communication that's happening that we don't even know about. It says, that's why, by the way, Kabbalistic rabbis wouldn't even pull a leaf unless it's necessary and again, don't, don't get me wrong, we use the world for elevating the world. That's allowed. But unless it's necessary, if it's unnecessary, let's say I'm standing by a tree and I just pull a leaf, great Kabbalistic teachers wouldn't even do that. It's not a Jewish law, but they wouldn't do that because they see the value in every single thing in this world and they communicate. Listen to this. I'm going to tell you just to show you the idea of trees talking, because that was Rabbi Yochanan ben Zakai. He knew the language of trees. It says like this in the Midrash. Rabbi Tanchuma said, there was a story with one uh, date tree, which was standing in the sun, which means when it's in the sun, it should grow a lot, a lot more dates. It was in the sun. It was a field. And the owner had many date, palm trees. Sorry, date tree. Palm trees. He had many palm trees. And one of them was not growing anything. What He tried cutting it, looking after it, feeding everything. It wouldn't grow any dates. So it wouldn't make any fruits. And he would try and combine it with different trees. Nothing happened. So he brought in Rabbi Tanchuma, this great rabbi scholar. And he says to them, this tree can see in the distance. Listen to this. It sees in the distance another tree and it desires it. Bring that, some of that tree next to it and it will start growing fruits. They did and it grew fruits. Fascinating. Now, we are in 2022. Okay, So back then when you're talking about Talmud stories like this, like trees communicating, you're like, come on, what? But in our day and age, we know that there's a form of communication in trees. We... we Trees tell each other how much oxygen they need to be giving off. You know, I'll tell you something crazy. We had an infested tree in our, when we used to live in Roxbury Drive, where, in the other house. And there was an infested tree. I don't know if you've ever seen a tree that's infested, completely covered in white. It was a normal, healthy tree, suddenly white. And it's got like all this stuff that's coming out of it, like a type of cotton that was coming. Have you ever seen that? And it, was, it, was, it started off small, like a bit, and we thought, okay, whatever, it was weird. But then it's, the whole tree had it, completely. So uh, we brought in a gardener. Sorry? Yeah. No, uh, I thought someone was asking something. You can, you can talk. So uh, there was a, there was, we brought in a gardener, and he came and he saw, he saw the tree. And I was fascinated. Why? Because there were many trees near it. It wasn't alone. There was a lot of trees touching it, next to it, and they didn't get infected. So I asked him, uh, what do you think? How come it... He said, I heard that what I understand is that when a tree gets infected, it teaches the other trees how to push away that infection. 
It, it kind of teaches the other trees around it how to deal with that, uh, um, whatever it is that was, some, some kind of worms or whatever it is that's infecting the tree. And it, it learns how to cope, a new mechanism of how to cope with it and to be aware of it, maybe to give off a new taste or something slightly different. It's fascinating. Trees communicate. So uh, in today's day and age, we, you know, in scientific day and age, we talk about it in that way. But in Judaism, we always said this. So it says that Rabbi Yochanan ben Zakkai, this rabbi, would know the language of trees. He'd know everything. One commentary says that this is uh, the Ben Yoyada. He says, yes, it's true. He would read the, co the communication of trees, but only in a certain time. Not when the wind is blowing. If the wind is blowing, so the wind is making the trees move. But he says there's many times where you can see two trees next to each other. You could put a sheet in between. The sheet doesn't move. And the trees and some of the branches of the trees are moving in some ways. And he says that according to Jewish tradition, they are communicating. There is a form of communication going on. And we truly believe that. So it's, uh, it's amazing. Anyway, so this is what he said. This is Rabbi Yochanan ben Zakkai, the least of all of his students of Hillel. They say the greatest of Hillel's students was so great, Rabbi Yonatan ben Uziel, that when he would pray, when he would pray, anything that was above it would burn because his prayers were so intense. That's what it says in the Talmud about Rabbi Yonatan uh, ben Uziel. Rabbi Yochanan ben Zakkai was the least. You see, these, these understandings of the powers of the teachers of the Talmud are, are foreign to us because we don't see them. You know, we, think we live in a very materialistic world. We don't see all these energies that the Jewish people have had and the abilities, the knowledge. But I'll tell you something. When you sit and study Talmud for hours on end, you see that it's not humane. The powers and the knowledge and the ability to understand things in ways that are so profound. You start saying, it, blow, it really does blow your mind. So this is, this is Rabbi Yochanan ben Zakkai. Someone who was the greatest of the greats, knew everything. And what did he say? He was the leader of the Jewish people during the destruction of the temple. And he said, if you know everything and you are the greatest, his own experience, don't hold good for yourself because that's what you were created for. What a sense of humility. Never say to yourself that this is, look how great I am. Does anyone mind to open the back door? Because I'm getting hot. I get hot when I speak. But, uh, you know... Okay. You know why? I'm nervous that no one understands what no no one understands what I'm talking about. Okay, thank you, thank you. Appreciate it. So I've done this I've done this for a few years already. Uh, so so this is what he says. No matter how far you've gone, how great you've gone, in how much knowledge you have, never think oh see the wind closed it. The door is that door's talking to that door, I'm telling you. Okay. So, he says that no matter what you do and what you succeed in, why are you successful in it? Because that was the genetic code you were given. Oh, other people are the same as me. They didn't go so well. Yeah, but I am good at it because it was a gift that was given to me and I'm using my gift to its fullest. But never think how blessed and powerful I am because of where I've become, which is kind of where our culture has gone today. Some, we make... 
people that are, let's say, great at sport or great at looks, and we make them like a living God. That's how, where are they today? Where are they yesterday? Who are they marrying or not marrying? Right? Who are they think? Uh, who are they? Who do they used to be with, and who are they with now? We we worship people that were born with given gifts. And the truth is that how should they be thinking of themselves? The answer is they should be thinking this is a gift that I was given and I was created for this. And I hope to use it in the best way possible. And the truth is a lot of that stuff is all heaven, havalim. We all end up being old and all those looks and the fame doesn't matter anymore at some point. But what matters is who we become. And that's what he says. If you become great, you've succeeded. Don't post how great you've become on LinkedIn and how successful you've become in your business. Maybe people would say, yes, you should, but whatever. Uh, but don't do it unless LinkedIn is paying you. Okay. Because you should know that that's what you were created for. You were created to succeed. And it's a sense of humility that he had, which is something that we should learn. And... Rabbi Yochanan ben Zakkai, this great leader, had five students. And I'm going to read you some. He had many, many students, but five of his best students. And each one of them, he talks about how great, why they were his best, why they were so great to him. By the way, it says about Rabbi Yochanan ben Zakkai, any of his students, he had thousands. He was the leader of the Jewish people. He would never allow them to open the door for him. He would run first to the door and hold it open for his student. We're talking about the leader of the Jewish people. Run to the door. Come, come in. You're not opening. No, no, no. And they would try. No. Never once did they open the door for him. He refused every time. If you are close to me, I'll open the door for you. And that's, what he, that's one of the greatness of him throughout his lifetime. There were many things. That was one of them. So he had five of his best students. This is what it says in the next Mishnah, in the next section. Who were they? The first was Rabbi Eliezer ben Hukunus. Do you remember the story I told you about? Rabbi Eliezer ben Hukunus? What an amazing story. At 28 years old, his father was the wealthiest of the wealthy in the times of the Talmud. He had a thousand, eventually Rabbi Eliezer, his son, his father, left him a thousand cities and a thousand boats, ships, and and much more in, in cash, in wealth. And he was beyond wealthy. And he was one of the students of Rabbi Yochanan ben Zakai. It says that what happened was, when he started, this Rabbi Yezab ben Ukhuz, he worked for his dad outside of Jerusalem. And his dad wasn't so involved in uh, the Jewish world. He was a working man, very wealthy, and he was a philanthropist. And they were wealthy, they had lots of land. So he had many sons, Hukunus, the father of Eliezer. And, and Eliezer himself decided, and he was 28, he was working in the field and he was unhappy. And his father was asking, why are you unhappy? He says, I'm not fulfilled. He said, maybe you're working in the mountains where there's rocks. Let's take you down to the lower lands where it's less work. He went down there, not unhappy. And he says, I want to go and study with Rabbi Yochanan ben Zakkai. I want to go study Torah. I want to become wise. He said, you're going to come wise. You're the least, you're the most lazy in our family. And he went. And he, he went to Jerusalem. And he sat with Rabbi Yochanan ben Zakkai as a young man. He was hungry. He didn't even have a place to stay. He found somewhere, but they didn't give him food. 
And after a few days, Rabbi Yochanan ben Zakai recognized that there's a bad odor. This guy, someone's not eating here. And he realized it's this guy. He went to the owners of the house and he's, the, the, the rental. And they said to him, hey, are you feeding Rabbi Yochanan, Rabbi Liezer? Are you feeding this young man? Or is he paying just for rent? They said, he's paying only for rent. He's not paying for... He had all the wealth. He was a very wealthy young man. But he left everything. He left his father and he wanted to do something different. And eventually what happened to him? He became the greatest of the greats. The student of Rabbi Yochanan ben Zakai. Hulkanus, his father, said, I want to make an oath. I will not give my son uh, anything, any of my wealth. Because his other brothers came to his father. The brothers of Eliezer came to his father, Hulkanus, and they said, Listen, it's all very nice that you have a son. Eliezer ran off to Jerusalem to study Talmud and Torah. But we are the ones that work the land. He shouldn't have any inheritance. He ditched us. He ditched the business. Why should he inherit anything? And his father said, you're right. And Horkonus went running to Jerusalem. He says, I want to, I want to take my son Eliezer and make an oath that he can't have any of my wealth. He walks in and there's a big celebration. Rabbi Yochanan ben Zakai, everyone hears Horkonus is coming in town. Rabbi Yochanan ben Zakai, the great rabbi, says to his student Eliezer, you speak. I want you to speak. And Eliezer starts speaking. What a speech. At first, the Talmud says, he, didn't, he said, I'm not speaking in front of my rabbi, Rabbi Yochanan. So Rabbi Yochanan said, I'll leave. Rabbi Yochanan left. And from another side came and listened in. And Eliezer gave the greatest speech of all time. And Hokunus, his father, was there in the back. He says, wow, that's my son. Everyone's kissing him at the end, asking him for a blessing. That's my son. He made an oath that his son Eliezer is going to now own everything. I want my son, this guy, he's so smart, so wise, so well-versed. He's going to be the most reliable with the business. I want him to own everything. And he made an oath that Eliezer will own all of his wealth. Obviously, Eliezer was a kind man and gave everything to his brothers too. And they remained wealthy, but he was in charge of it all. An amazing story. So this is the story of Eliezer ben Okunus, one of his students. He had four. He had five students that he was very close to. He said about Eliezer, he talks about each one of them, why they were so great. And he's doing that in order that we should learn something, that we should try and uh, strive to be in that way as well. So the first he said is Rabbi Eliezer ben Hukunus, this, this Eliezer. He says about him, he's a ball sod, a well-closed pit, a, a, a pit that has cement, a lot of cement around it. You know, when you have a pit, if you dig a hole in the ground... You fill it with water. What happens to the water? It eventually, yeah, it evaporates or it goes down in the earth. It disappears, right? It, you don't see it after a while. Unless you put cement and you close it well, then the water stays in. So he said he's like a pit that's well, uh, how do you say, cemented. I don't know if that's the way to say it. I don't know. Maybe there's a better way of saying it. Ball sod. It was well closed on the, all around it that no water will fall out. And basically what he meant is, he's a man that never forgets anything. That is Rebbe Eliezer ben Hukunus. He never forgets a thing. Now I want to tell you something. We have to try and be that also. We have to always be try to remember things, to be focused. How is it that Rebbe Eliezer was the one that was always able to remember? Why was he so unique that he always remembered everything? You want to know? <laughs> well... 
Let me ask you a question. How many phone numbers, cell phone numbers can you remember? 10, 20? How many do you remember? How many names of people do you remember? A lot. Why is it harder if you take a phone book and start trying, okay, that doesn't exist anymore, but take your contacts and go through them and try and remember all the numbers? You, you wouldn't last. After an hour, you'll be like, oh my gosh, my head is... Even if I paid you $200 an hour, you'll be, get, you'll be like, I'm done, right? Why? Why is it that when... Well, it's a lot of numbers, just simple combinations, yes. You have no real like, connection to the number. Good. There's no connection to the number. The name, you connect. It's like a face. There's a person. A number? You don't connect to the number. That's just the number. There's no connect. You remember things that you connect to. That is the idea of remembering. When you focus, you, sometimes you feel like you forget stuff. The reason why you're forgetting is because it's not exciting. I'm not focused on it, on the greatness of it. There's some people that aren't so intelligent, but they get A's in their, in their math. And some people hate math, right? What is it? The other one's very smart, but hates math. The answer is he's not excited about it. If you're excited about something, you get to remember it more. And that's what it says about Eliezer ben Hukas. Who was he? He was the one that went and left his wealth, sacrificed everything to try and come wise, to learn, and to become great in learning. Someone who does that, he cares about what he's looking at. It's important to him to read, to learn. It's an important thing. So he'll take it seriously. So what you take seriously, there's other ideas. I'll tell you another way. Maimonides says that if you want to remember something well, say it out loud. Don't just let your eyes gaze at it. Actually, the Talmud in Eruvin tells a story of the wife of Rabmeya Balanes, a famous lady. Her name was Bruria. And she found someone studying Torah. And she says to him, why are you reading it quietly? <laughs> Can you imagine? Excuse me? Right? Why are you reading this Talmud quietly? She said to him, you should read it out loud. Why? Like it says, If it's set out, it's kept. And she explains, I'll tell you even more. If you say it with your, with your entire body, with all the limbs of your body, it's going to be yours and it's going to be remembered forever. Sorry. But if you don't say it with all your body, it won't be forgotten. It won't be remembered. You have to feel... Things that you're reading or talking about, get excited about them in order to remember them. Because the more you're aware of what's in front of you, the more it can sink in on a much deeper level. Okay, that's another way that you remember. But it also ties into Rabbi Yezab ben Hukunus. He put his whole soul into this and that's why he remembered everything. Okay, so that's something we all need to drive and strive for. The next student was Rabbi Yeshua ben Chanina. And he says about Rabbi Shua ben Hanina, a great student. There's many stories about him. I don't want to. But he says, praiseworthy is his mom, the one who gave birth to him. Praised is the one who gave birth to him. Why? And this is a fascinating idea. It says in the Talmud that Rabbi Yeshua's mom, after he was born, she would take him to the house of study. A newborn baby. Take his crib 
and sit him by the house of study, just so that he should hear words of Torah. You might say, okay, what, what on earth is the point of that? It's a child, doesn't understand everything. But we, according to Jewish teaching, know that even the fetus learns and hears. Even before a baby's born, it's affected by the feelings of the mother. It's affected by the hearing of the mother, what the mother sees. And it can have a huge impact. Nowadays, we say, okay, you know, it's a two-year-old kid, please leave me alone. Crying this, let's put her in front of a screen. I'm telling you, nowadays, I go, if I go to a store or something, these little kids in the, in the, in the, in the you know, they're pushing them in the, what's it called, the stroller. I can't even say that word. And, and the kid is holding a phone. You know, TikTok. I'm like, what? At that age? You don't even know what's going to come up next. You know? You don't know what's going to f- come on the next video. The algorithms. Just like, throw it in front of the kid. It's the new babysitter. Hey, there's the TV. Quiet, kid. Here's the TV. But we should know that even if we think, who cares? What difference does it make? The child's so young anyway, doesn't really understand. The truth is that ingrains into the heart of the child. And when it comes older, when the child comes older, he, little images of ideas or thoughts or reactions come into that child's mind. And when he gets older, it, it gets translated into reality. And a lot of mental health is to do with how we're brought up also. How we as little children are dealt with, even before we're born. And that too, by the way, is a novel idea. Till we have ultrasound, we never thought that the child is affected by the music that he hears, by the sounds, the places that the parents go, the things that the parents see. But according to Jewish tradition, that is truth. Like we saw with Jacob and his mom was pregnant. And when she was pregnant with Esav and Jacob, she said, it says, Rebecca had twins in her womb. And she said, oh, what's going on here? There's confusion. Where, what, what? They, there's mixed, they're moving, they are excited. She understood that the fetus, even though it's not yet born, even that has a certain sense of recognition and learning already from that stage. There's a very important idea. According to, by the way, according to uh, Jewish tradition, it's the, even more than that. The beginning is where things are the most powerful. If let's say you take a seed, right, and you put it in the ground. If you alter the seed a little bit, you'll change the tree forever. The tree starts growing, you pull a bit of the the leaves at the beginning, you'll impact the tree for many years on. Because according to Jewish tradition, everything goes back to the beginning. And when you go to the beginning, that has the source of the whole future of that being. And the more you, it's like a tree. The beginning, when the tree's new, you can move it around. You can, you know, every small thing you do to it, you're going to change the way that tree grows forever. You kick the tree into an angle like this, it starts growing for, for the next year. And then for the next 30 years, it's going to be a tree that grows like this. A little move you did. Right? Any kind of alteration that you do on the beginning has a huge impact in the future. And all the more so with children. When we are small and young, we are like the seed at the beginning. That any small alteration on it 
can have much huge impact to its future. I told you, I've already said this in the past. Educators in Judaism are one of the holiest people. The matzdikei arabim, they're considered as the righteous of the public. Because they hold the future in their hands. Another discussion. But anyway, that's Rabbi Yeshua ben Hananiah. His mom said, he's young. How did he become great? Because of his mom. She said, from a young age, who cares? He's young. It doesn't matter what he listens to, what he sees. But already from a young age, she said, let me put him next to an environment which is a place where he can hear words of Torah. By the way, today it doesn't need to be that way. No one needs to take it to a place, a synagogue. But even in your own house, you can make it a place of good vibes. Because that's the future. By the way, I'll tell you this. One rabbi once, someone once went to his uh, rabbi and said, Rabbi, I'm about to have a kid. Do you have any suggestions of how I can educate this child? I need to learn. I've never had children yet. Any advice? He says to him, how old are you? He says to him, I'm 25. That's young. Right. He says, I'm 25. He says to him, well, you could, have, you, you could start now and you could have also started 25 years ago. Your education of your future, the education of your children doesn't start when they're born. It starts by who we become. And based on who we become is how that child's going to come out later on also. We invest now in our children, not when they're born. It starts now. Oh, a little bit more calm? That's going to affect the child to be a little bit more calm. Knowing how to deal with difficult challenges and situations that don't work out for me? Well, that's going to affect how the child deals with difficult situations. Because life is rough. But if I work on it myself, I'm now also growing a child. Myself and my future child. Please God by everyone. You could say amen. Okay, one day. Okay, so then Rabbi Yossi was another student of Rabbi Yezer, Rabbi Yochanan ben Zakai. He was another student, Rabbi called Rabbi Yossi. What did he say about Rabbi Yossi HaKohen, Rabbi Yossi the great priest? He said he was a Hasid, a Hasidic Jew. No, not the Hasidic Jews that... They look Hasidic on the outside of today, like a certain sect within Judaism. Hasid in Judaism actually by definition means someone who does extra. Now, only because it's beautiful to do extra, not just for no reason. So let's say in Judaism, we have a rule, you know, you have Sukkot, let's say. That's a nice holiday. Anyone like Sukkot? Right? It's a good holiday. So we sit in a hut and there's different ways you can build the Sukkah. Yeah, it's true, you can have two and, a, uh, two and a half walls. And you can have, we can give you exactly the details of how to get out of doing a sukkah. You can get a pop-up too. You know, one of those, and it just comes up. Fascinating. In seconds, you can have a pop-up tent sukkah that's made for you. It's an easy way out. But you're not going to love Judaism that way. Ah, oh, it's sukkah. Oh, gosh, another one. Okay, fine, I've got the pop-up. How much is it? 200 bucks. 200 bucks! Okay, you know what? I'll pay for it. I'll do it. It's a nice Jewish thing. You buy the pop-up sukkah, you go in it for a few minutes, hey, and you come out. You're not going to enjoy Sukkot that way. You want to feel the holiday? Sleep in it. Make it beautiful. It says that, This is for God. I'm going to make it beautiful. We make everything else beautiful. We can make Judaism beautiful too. 
Sukkot is an example. I'm anyway doing it. Let me make it gorgeous. Decorate it. Make it grand. Make it beautiful. Because I'll tell you, you love things as much as you invest into it. If you invest good into it, you'll love it more. So although, yes, you don't have to, there's, you, know, you don't have to do anything. No one's on top of you. Okay, We're in America. You can do whatever you want. No one's, right? Judaism's easy today. No, no one has to do anything. But if you're going to do something, make it nice. So you'll enjoy it. That's called Zekeli Van Veil. This is, for God, I'm going to make it beautiful. It's like somebody who says, I have a car. It's a, what's the difference? I have a junky car and there's a Tesla. They both get me to the same place. Right? There's no difference. In physicality, they're right. But at the end of the day, between me and you, one takes you in a nice, comfortable way and the other one is not so comfortable. Right? True. One, you feel nice, you listen to music, you have a big screen, so you, you don't have to look at the windshield. I don't know why they did that. But you don't have to even look out of the car. You just look at your screen, you can watch uh, Netflix, and, you, you know, and then you get to your destination. It's a, a little nicer, you know? It's a little nicer. You wouldn't mind a nice Tesla? Yes? What was the name for that again in Hebrew? Oh, for making things beautiful? Zeh yeah. Keli Van Veil. We say it in Shir Hashirim. In, in, it's not Shir Hashirim, in Az Yashir. Shir Atayam in the, in the morning, when we pray in the morning. Every day we say in Az Yashir, the song in the morning, we say, Ze Eli Van Veil. This is my God, and I'm going to make it beautiful. This is for God, I'm going to make it beautiful. So that's called a Hasid. That's one of the definitions of a Hasid. A pious person says, I know I'm going to do it, but I'll go the extra mile to make it beautiful. That's called a pious person. I do extra, even though I didn't have to, to make it beautiful. There's some things, by the way, if you do extra, they're wrong. Like, for instance, we have to fill in, and you say to yourself, I'm going to add more to fill in. I'm going to have five of them. You know, why not? I'll be extra religious. And that's wrong. Don't do more than what they say. But there are things that if you're doing it, do it beautifully. Do it nicely. And that is the idea. By the way, that also is a secret that someone should always... Uh, uh, strive for in life. You're going to do something, make it beautiful anyway, so you enjoy it. You want your kids to enjoy it, make it beautiful. These are secrets that he's saying, not just for no reason. These are my students, meaning all of these qualities are qualities we all need to strive for. Okay, that's, that's the next one, was the idea of a chassid. Right? The previous one was the rabbi that his mom invested in him. What's that? What sh- how can we learn from that? We need to invest in things even if we don't, if we feel like we're young and we don't fully understand it or it's irrelevant. Believe in the, in the ability of the human being. Believe in how a little child that might not understand anything is impacted in his, by his surroundings. How we are impacted by our surroundings, that's the lesson. Each one of these is a lesson for life that we need to strive for. Okay? And the next rabbi was Rab Shimon ben Netanel. He was the legend at being consistent. And he was Rab Shimon ben Netanel Yerechet. He was the one that was fear of sin. What does that mean? He would avoid making mistakes. How do you avoid making mistakes, you know? The answer is, you make boundaries. Logical boundaries. Like when you're on the highway. 
you have an, on the side, you have another, another road. A shoulder. What's the point in that? What a waste. Miles on end where they build a shoulder. What a waste. And the answer is, of course, we need that for safety. We made an extra boundary all the way down that. Think about how much money is invested in a shoulder lane. Is it worth it? Of course. How many lives can be saved just by a shoulder lane? So in life, we need to know where we can fall short, where we can make mistakes. And we need to make boundaries in the areas that we make mistakes in. Okay, I said something stupid last time when I was around this person. So I'm going to avoid it next time uh, or avoid speaking to them or avoid being around them because it's not healthy for me. That's called making a boundary to not doing something wrong. Okay, and it applies to also the mitzvot. Yerechet is someone who's fearing of sin, meaning he's aware of his energy and he wants to make sure that he's right by taking on extra boundaries to know, not in all areas, not in everything, but in areas I know that I fail in in the past. That's called somebody who's a Yerechet. Okay, and Rabbi Yeza Ben Arach was his last student of the five great students, another Rabbi Yeza. And he said about him, he's like a spring, like the water where it starts, right? Mayan, spring, where it starts, Hamit Gaber. They say that about people that know, how to, know a lot of information. They say, Kemayan Hamit Gaber. They're like the spring that's getting stronger and stronger and stronger. You know, at the beginning, it's like a bit of water. And then over time, the current is picking up. And it keeps going, it grows and grows and grows like an avalanche. Starts with a small little bit of snow, a ball, and then it grows and grows. It comes heavier and stronger and stronger. Right? That's how water works too. So we need to strive to be like that too. Which means, not only do I know what I'm told, but I'm able to add on information to it also. Rabbi Yezah ben Arach was not someone that just learned. He was also someone that knew how to add and connect it to other ideas, to come up with new, innovative ideas. And that's an important quality to have also, which is to add flavor to everything you learn. You see, most of what we do, we learn from someone else. But what makes you special? You add your flavor to it, right? You add your, it's like, hey, I follow this recipe on YouTube and you tell me, oh my gosh, I follow the same one. And then you tell me, I follow the same one. I bet you they all taste different because each one of them has my flavor in it. Okay, so when it comes to wisdom, or let's say, let me give you an example that's relatable to you. Let's say you want to give a speech over something inspiring. You want to speak to your, your co-workers and you're asked to give a little uh, inspiration to the co-workers of your business or that you're in or the work that you're in. They ask you to speak. So you stand up there and you work on a speech. And you've never done this before. So what do you do? You say, okay, I'm going to listen to someone else, some TED talk. I'll copy it and give it over. You have to be, strive to be like a Mayana Mitgaber. That's what he says. Be like a person that comes up with your own flavor of it. So that way you connect to it more. Add some ideas that make it yours, that you conquer it. And that's what the, that was the beauty of Rabbi Yezah ben Arach was that he added 
A mayana mitkaben. He would always add Torah to what he was taught. Okay. And it finishes off. Rabbi Eliezer, Abbas Shaul used to say, if all the wise rabbis that we've mentioned were on one side, and Eliezer ben Hukunus, that, the, one, the one that we mentioned at the beginning, the one that was left his father, the wealthy father, and went to Jerusalem, we put him on one side, all the rabbis on one, and this great Eliezer ben Hukunus on the other, Eliezer ben Hukunus would win over the rest. He would, be, he would over, outweigh them all. Okay. Those are some of the ideas that we uh, studied, just about who they were. And now we're about to talk about what they did themselves. I'm going to quickly read it for you and finish off. Who were these rabbis? Who were these five rabbis? We said who they were, how they became great. They didn't forget. They fought, their mom believed in them, right? They were pious. They made boundaries. Right, Mayana Mitkabel, they're like the, the river that kept going big, stronger and stronger. But who were they? What did they say? And this is what they said. I'm going to finish off with this, and it's mind blowing. So they said, Go and see what is the right path a person should go on. Meaning, I want to know what is the underlying rule to be successful in life. What is the one line? That you think will make me successful. And they ask these five great rabbis. What is the one thing that you need. In order to succeed in life. And the first rabbi Rabbi Eliezer, Said you know what you need. Ayin tova. A good eye. What does that mean? Anyone know what a good eye means? Gratitude. No judgment. Gratitude. Pure intentions. No judgment. Pure intentions. A good eye is. You're looking at who? You're looking at other people. <laughs> Thank you, Eitan. Who said that? Being happy for other people? Yes. Ayin Tova is somebody who's in the same situation as you. But he's got a way nicer car than you. He's got that Tesla. And what do you say? Oh, gosh, I wish I had that. No. Ayin Tova means good for you. I wish you and I bless you that you should be successful with it. Even if you don't believe it. It hurts inside. I'm annoyed. I was way smarter than him and I worked so much hard. I went to Harvard and he's got that car. Right? So what do you say to you? You get all this pain inside of you. You want to fix everything? Ayin Tova. You should know most of the times you're insulted. Most of the times you're angry. Most of the time you're offended. It's your ego. 90% is ego. And how do we fix it? Ayin Tova. That's the, that's the answer to fixing it. Start forcing yourself to say, I'm so happy for him that he's got that car. Hey, dude, love your car. Congratulations. I'm angry inside, but I'll still say it. Okay, it says, Tov Ayin Hu Yivorach. A good-eyed person, a person with good eyes, he is the one that's blessed. That's a person that's blessed. And actually we say that if you do that, eventually you'll have what he has. Or what she has. Your friend is, you're dating and you're the expert at dating. You've been in and out of dates. You know the algorithm. And suddenly that guy gets married. Him. He got in a relationship and he's married. He has love. Long term. And I'm thinking to myself, how? That guy is the, that dude, he couldn't speak. And look. And you're angry inside. You say, how can it be? 
force yourself and you say, I'm going to give you a tov ayin, a good ayin. So you go up to him and you say, I bless you. You should have a lot of success. When is the wedding, man? I'd love to come. Well, maybe that's a wedding crusher. I'm not sure. Okay? But that's a, that's a good thing to do. Ayin tova. Force yourself, even though I don't believe it, to praise that person because eventually the blessing will come to you as well. So that was Rabbi Yezer's answer. Rabbi Yeshua says no. You know what you need? You need good friends because sometimes it's impossible to have a good eye. It's not easy. Do you know what you need? You need a good support system. A chavel tov. If you have a good friend, that's the underlying theme to success in every other area. Good friends, they will look at... By the way, what's a good friend? Someone who tells you off all the time? No. Someone who says, well done, dude, all the time? No. What is a good friend? He's a mix of both, right? He tells you, hey, you're amazing. I really believe in your strengths and your ability. But when you're acting like an idiot, he'll tell you in a nice way, obviously. Look, I just really don't think if you want someone to, in your life and you want a girl to run after you, then, uh, okay, it's 2022. That probably doesn't happen so much. But if you want someone to be into you, You've got to act in this way a little bit. You know, you've got to speak a bit better. You've got to seem like a nice guy, at least. You know, at least seem that way. But yeah, something. Tell, tell, the, tell the guy something. If he's your friend and you care for him, you go into confrontation with him also. Or her. Okay? For the sake of that person. Make sense? So that's what he says. He says you need a good, a good, a good friend. Rabbi Yossi says No. You need, a good, you need to be a good neighbor. What's the difference? Good neighbor, good friend. A good neighbor means that you're in good surroundings. It doesn't necessarily mean you're actually communicating well with people, but at least you're in a good neighborhood. That in itself can save you. Sometimes people are in such a mess, they don't need a friend. But at least put yourself in a place that's, that's a good neighbor. Some say, actually, what Rabbi Yossi is saying is you need to be the good neighbor. You need to initiate the one being a good neighbor. Right? How do you know if someone's a good neighbor? Huh? Do you have a big house? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, the respectful of your space. How, how, what else? I think if you're doing something that's noisy, right, within moderation, and they don't fight against you, yes. I was going to say the same. Same thing, right? If, you, if you're a good neighbor, you're living in your house, he's living in his house. But it's when sometimes there's a confrontation, like you're building and you're drilling, 10 o'clock, and he wants to sleep at 9. Be quiet. One time he's drilling. Come on, he's your neighbor. Give him some space. No, 10 o'clock at night, I'm calling the cops. <laughs> Give the guy a chance. So that's one of the signs. Okay, so he says a great... The way to greatness is having good neighbors. The way to greatness is having good friends. You don't even need to work on yourself as much. Just be in a good surrounding. Rabbi Shimon says, do you know what greatness is? One line. Somebody who can see ahead of time. Who can see in the future. What does that mean? Anyone here see in the future? Does anyone know what's going to happen tomorrow? What does it mean you see the future? Good at planning. Good at Anticipate the consequences. Thinking long term. That's the child versus the adult. What does the child do? Instant gratification. Right? What's the adult? I'll wait. I'll hold on to the money. I won't spend it so much. I'll keep it. I'll save it. Maybe I'll buy a house eventually. 
The person that can see ahead is a person that's underlying theme. He's the one that's going to be successful. By the way, even in pleasures, in good things, you need to ask yourself, how will it make me feel afterwards? Not at the time that I'm doing it. I've mentioned this many times. But how much energy will it give me after the fact that I've done it? That's right. How much horsepower does it give me? Not at the time. Because at the time I'm biased. I want this now. I want this party. Yeah, but am I going to feel good tomorrow? I don't know. Right? If I do, then maybe it's a good place. But one of the signs that something's good for you is how it makes you feel afterwards, not at the time. That's a sign that it's going to make you happy. That's real pleasure. So greatness is someone who sees the future. That's where greatness is at. It is late. I'm sorry. You don't have to stay if you want. I heard some. I heard some. Okay. If, if anyone wants to leave, you can leave. I'm reading people's minds. So uh, he says like this. I'm going to finish off. And he says, uh, where was I? Uh, blah, blah, blah. See, I've read so much that, uh, that I've lost it. Okay. And Rebeliezer says, you know what the best thing is? Someone with a good heart. What's the difference between a good heart and a good eye? Heart is caring. A heart is someone who's emotionally connected, empathetic. And good eye is someone who, I don't read, I'm not happy for his Tesla, but I bless you that you should be good. Right? Inside, it might not be that I feel the excitement for you. A levtov is another level. It's where I feel not only I'm happy for you, but I feel happy for you. Or the other way around, if somebody's in pain, I feel the pain, empathy. Basically, he's saying the underlying theme to success is empathy, caring. That's the underlying theme. And then they said, Amalahem, Rabbi Yochanan ben Zakai, the rabbi of these five, says, you know whose statement is the best? The one that says, a levtov. Rabbi Eliezer ben Arach, he's the, his statement's the most true. The one who has a good heart. I'm going to finish off quickly. I'm going to read this quickly. And he says, he says to them, what's the worst way a person should be? And they all said the exact opposite besides for one of them. Rabbi Yezah says, what's the worst way? Not a good eye, a bad eye. The next rabbi said, what's the worst day? Not a good friend, a bad friend. Rabbi Yossi says, what's the worst way? A bad neighbor. Rabbi Shimon says, what's the worst way? What did he say originally? Someone who sees the future. And what does he say is the, the opposite of that? He doesn't say that though. It's very interesting. He doesn't say that. Do you know what he says? Rabbi Shimon, he's the one who says, someone who sees the future that's successful. What's failure? Somebody who borrows money and doesn't pay back. Why is that the opposite? <laughs> really? That's a Jewish thing? Jewish thing is to lend money. Right? I know, Shira, I know it's late, but they, they don't mind. I think they don't mind. Right? So, uh, at least in my eyes. Why? What's the opposite of somebody... Who sees ahead of time? Look, if I don't see ahead, I'm not necessarily going to fail. The sign that I'm failing when I'm not seeing ahead is if I start taking advantage of people. I borrow money. Hey, yo, dude, can you put, let me $200? Never see the guy again. I, I'm off Facebook. I'm off to Instagram. I have a new name, right? And then I took the money and run off. It's not worth it for $200, but let's say, right? Hey, I run off for $200. Is it worth it? No, but what's that? That's already someone 
Not, he's not seeing ahead. That's the danger of it. Someone who doesn't see ahead eventually starts saying, oh, I'll borrow money from him. Who cares? I have the money now. I'll spend it. And I won't pay it back. That's what eventually happens to people that don't see ahead. In the beginning, it's not seeing ahead for small things. But at the end, I start damaging my people around me. Because I'm, not, I'm so into my instant gratification, I start borrowing from them and don't. And what does it say about a person that does that? Someone who borrows from people and doesn't pay back is someone who borrows from God and doesn't pay back. Why? Because it says that when you borrow from someone and don't pay him back, then God pays that person back. He never did anything wrong. He trusted you. You weren't crazy. He trusted you. And he gave you 500 bucks. And you never paid back. According to Jewish tradition, that person shouldn't be upset. As hard as it is, he should have faith that God's going to give me that money back in another way. I'll make that $500 back. Okay, it wasn't my fault. He took advantage of me. He took the 500 bucks and ran away. It should be a mitzvah. God's going to pay me back. And God does. According to Jewish tradition, if you lend someone, it's a mitzvah. And if, if you lend someone money and they don't pay you back, God pays you back. But now when, that, when God pays that person back, who now takes the debt? Who do you owe the money to now? If you borrow from someone and never pay back, God paid him back instead. Who do you owe the money to now? Charity. To Hashem. To God. And that's way scarier. Okay? That's way, way scarier. That's something that we should really be worried about. Okay. That's wicked. Borrow and don't pay. Whilst righteous, they are They are favorable and they give. Let me just finish off. I really am finishing off. I've said this for the past half an hour. He, right? And he says, uh, Rabbi Eliezer, the final rabbi, he said, you have to have a good heart. What's the opposite of a good heart? Bad heart. A bad heart. And that is the worst of all. Rabbi Eliezer ben Arach, his statement is the most important of all. That's the worst level to be on. A bad heart. Why? Why is a bad heart the worst level to be on? What did we say a good heart is? Caring, apathy, having no care about my surroundings is the worst place that a person can be in. Because you, you end up in your room, I don't give a, two hoots about my life, not about anybody. I'm ungrateful for all the good I have and it leads to a state of real depression. And he says that is the worst place, apathy. So that's why being empathetic is something very important. The opposite, apathetic, that is something which is very dangerous. And empathy, by the way, we said about business, why they fail. What did you say? It's because they don't care. Someone said, maybe someone here said, they don't care about their employees. Yes. Yeah, it was you. You said, <laughs> you don't care about employees. Caring is so important for all types of success. That's what he's saying. Everything. Empathy is the key to all success. It might make you angry sometimes because you care. It might make you upset, but at least caring is what matters. And that's what he says is the most important theme of all. So I, I hope you're confused because I gave you a whole load of lists of different things that we need to work on. But the underlying theme is that we need to strive for greatness, for knowledge, for learning. That's, that's Rabbi Yochanan ben Zakai. That's what we were created for. We need to try and become knowledgeable, to not forget, to value even the small and the young and value things that we don't believe in, like ourselves sometimes, right? Like the mom that valued her son, Rabbi Yeshua. 
We said that you should be someone that's a, a, a refraining from sin, from doing wrong, right? Making, going the extra mile. Someone who's a chassid is someone who goes, makes things exciting and beautiful, right? That's the energy that we need. Okay, adding, we said so many things, a good eye, a good friend, a good neighbor, right? Seeing ahead, these are all values we need to strive for. A good heart, caring, and that is the most important and obviously the opposite as well. So uh, I think we're done for today. I hope I didn't keep you too long. And thank you for being here.